All right, everybody. We are here to discuss the very first of the page or princess cards, the page or princess of wands. And Mel and I were just saying offline that we're both super nervous because pages and princesses are special. Let's talk for a moment, I guess, about why pages and princesses are special as compared to the other court cards, knight, knight or prince, queen or king or knight. Okay, so in the in the family structure, right, we have the father, who is the king or knight, the queen, who is the mother, the son, who is the prince or knight, and the daughter, who is the page or princess. And if you go sort of in that order, it makes it seem almost like the page or princess is an afterthought, but she certainly is not. Yeah. One thing that I always think of with the princesses is that what's unique to them and the aces, but it's far more obvious in them, is that they actually contain a little bit of every element within mm -hmm. them. Because the princess, she embodies every court card that came before her. So she has the qualities of the knight or the, the king. Uh, she has the qualities of the queen, the qualities of the prince, all within her. She has all the four elements, the four powers. Everything is at her kind of command if she's awakened. Right. And this is sort of a reflection of what we see on the Tree of Life. If you look at the Tree of Life, the princess is associated with Malkut, lowest of the Sephirot. So it's as if all of the light of creation is funneling down into this final kingdom. Right. It's like the foundation of the entire tree. And if you think of the aces as they call the aces the root of the element, or you can think of them as the seed of the element, the princesses are the flower or the fruit that eventually develops from that. So if you think of the tree of life as, you know, the roots starting at the top and the, the flowering and fruiting at the bottom, they're the ultimate. It's as if at the top of the tree, we have sort of the concept, and then it develops into something increasingly crystalline and material until we have the final expression in the princess, who is the way that the energy of that element, of that suit, of that world can express itself in the physical plane. Yeah, and you can also see that connection with the aces. So there's the connection between what begins in Keter and ultimately ends in Malkut and regenerates again. And the aces themselves are said to contain a little bit of each element. They're normally thought of as, you know, the pure expression of fire, water, air, or earth, but that's actually not completely true because each one of them contains a little bit of everything mm -hmm. in the same way the princess is like that so you can see like there's there's a real connection between Keter and Malkuth the ace and the princess and all the court cards leading up to the princess they're all part of that evolution right if you want to think about it elementally uh, with the other court cards you can say that she is the combination of all of those because the knight or king is associated with fire, the queen is associated with water, the prince or knight is associated with air, and she herself is associated with earth. Yeah, and if you look at that elemental progression, you start with fire, you have water. If those are combined, you know, a fire and water combined, you think of a great cloud of steam rising up, mm -hmm. basically, and that's air, that's the the the, the prince. And then all three of the elements combined supposedly form Earth. Right, right. So she's got it all. 
She's got it all. That's mm -hmm. interesting, too, when you think of the colors. So if you look at, you know, the Kabbalistic cross, you see, you know, the colors are expressed as being combinations of um, there's a, on each arm of the cross. There's a there's a six pointed star, I think. And the one that is for fire is the color of air and water combined. The one that is for air is the color of fire. And each one is the colors combined to form, you know, this secondary color based on the other two primaries. Right. But then when you get to the the earth branch of the cross, which is, you know, that largest cent central branch, it's white, which is the all colors combined. All colors are all within colors white, combined. basically. Right, right. I think the princesses are really interesting because they really represent us on our spiritual journey. We can be asleep and the princesses are often said to be sleeping and waiting to be awakened by a kiss from the prince, which has its own, you know, meeting meaning about connection with the inner genius of the holy guardian angel. Or they can be awakened and established fully in their power. Right. And there's also the idea associated with the princess of the Shekinah in, in Kabbalah, who is the form or the presence of the divine that has been left behind here on earth. And she's associated with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of also, so we talked about in the other court card episodes so far about how each of the uh, night kings, queens, and prince knights are each combined of those parts of those gunas, you know, the rahas, mm -hmm. sulfuric, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Thomas, salty, and and mutable, more mutable energy, the um, sattva energy. So the, the princesses, those are divisions of nature, and the princesses are nature itself. The word for it is prakriti, and it's a Sanskrit term that means the feminine, and it means the body, and it means the uh, the primal substance of nature, matter. Mm -hmm. So these other courts are all divisions of that, but she is that itself. Right. And uh, one thing that I found that really speaks to me about the role of the princesses as our kind of spiritual avatars, uh, was it's in 777 now. I think it's in the beginning part of the book before you get to all the tables. Now, 777 is really cool. Most people think of it as uh, <laughs> mostly about those tables, and it is, but it's got a lot of gems hidden in there. And um, this is one of them. And when I read this, it, it makes me think of that. Um, it makes me think of the power of the princesses. So um, I'll read it to you. Okay. It says, the aspirant is seeking to solve the great problem, and he may conceive of it in three forms. The first, I am not God, I wish to become God. This is the Hindu conception. I am Malkuth, I wish to become Keter. This is the Kabbalistic equivalent. Mm -hmm. The second, I am a fallen creature, I wish to be redeemed. This is the Christian conception. I am Malkuth, the fallen daughter. I wish to be set upon the throne of Binah, my supernal mother. This is the Kabbalistic equivalent. And the third, I am the finite square. I wish to be one with the infinite circle. This is the unsectarian conception. I am the cross of extension. I wish to be one with the infinite rose. This is the Kabbalistic equivalent. And then he goes on to say the answer to the first problem, 
that is thou art that in the Hindu conception, or Malkut is is in Keter in the Kabbalistic mm-hmm. equivalent. And he says the other way you could say it is that which is below is like that which is above. Or you could simply say Yod, which <laughs> is the letter that makes up all of the other letters. You know, the, the little yes. Yod symbol is what makes all the other letters. And um, it's also got a value of 10, which is Malkut. You could answer, hey, the letter alike of mother and daughter for the second problem. Or for the third problem, he said you could answer pi because an infinite factor must be employed. And I just thought that was fascinating. And it, it really speaks to me about the power of the princess. That's fantastic. Well, you know what I really like about that? It's almost a way of explicating the way the world's interconnected in it, which is a which is a subject of intense interest for those of us who work in divination and magic, because that connection as above, so below, as within, so without, how does that actually work? And what I think is encapsulated in that breakdown is something about the way, you know, the divine permeates the material and that they can't be separated. The face of the divine is reflected in everything around us. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I think that, you know, the princess or page is um, the embodiment of that, really, which is why she stands alone on her own two feet. She needs nothing else. Yeah, I think I read she she needs not the horse for momentum, needs not the chariot for stability, needs not the uh, armor for protection or the, what was the other one? The other thing she doesn't need. <laughs> <laughs> a man. <laughs> yeah, well, um, but anyway, that's why she's always shown, you know, standing firmly by herself, wearing right. little. Wearing little, right. Fantastic. So shall we look at the very first of them, the Pager Princess of Wands? Sure. Okay, so we're talking about the princess of the shining flame, the rose of the palace of fire, also known as the princess and empress of the salamanders and the throne of the ace of wands. Wow. I I just love that. The rose of the palace of fire. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really great. You know, you notice that all of the princesses have the have a title where they're either referred to as a rose or a lotus. The, um, Princess of Discs and the Princess of Wands are both roses, and mm-hmm. the other two are both lotuses. And again, that reiterates their flowering, the ultimate flowering of the element. And also, it kind of brings to mind the uh, roses and lilies, you know, roses and lotuses. Yes. And when I think of that, I think of that biblical song of songs, yes, uh, where the bridegroom states that he is the rose and the lily. And again, that speaks about how she's in her power when she's connected to that essence of the bridegroom. You know, that's part of her awakening. Right. Her relationship with the prince. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's her ticket up the tree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just about the rose. um, I like the idea that it's the princess of wands and the princess of discs that are the roses, because that sort of emphasizes the connection between uh, between fire and earth, between the beginning and end of the cycle. Between Keter and Malkut, between the yod and the hay. Exactly. And roses are also both both kinds of flowers actually but especially roses they're they're a symbol of unfolding and and evolution spiritually you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is makes it 
an appropriate symbol. And also roses, the way they unfold and have petals in different directions almost reminds me of a compass or of the, you know, there's the compass yes. rose. Yes. And then there's the symbol of Malkut with the unfolding, you know, arms of the cross and extension. There's a similarity there. There is. There's a reference to four and there's also a reference to five with any rose. And of course, five is the number where we get beyond the material plane into spirit. Maybe that we could bring up, sense. it would, might be a good point to bring up, you know, the we talk about the four powers. Mm-hmm. of the Sphinx, and the power of the princess is said to be to seer, to keep silent. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what does that exactly mean? Uh, one thing, I read a quote, um, Crowley's quote in one of his essays about silence, and it says, silence in the vulgar sense is not the answer to the riddle of the Sphinx. It is that which is created by the answer. When I think of silence, I think of it means that you're taking action rather than expressing through words. You know, when you're doing something, you're you're usually not talking at the same time. Right, right. I think when you're effective in action, there's a focus in the mind that blocks out everything else, blocks out the mental chatter, blocks out, you know, uh, any sort of feelings you may have about it, any kind of ego attached to it. You're just doing it. Yep. I think even Crowley says something about he has he's got a quote about the princesses in silence. He says they represent the silence to which all things return and that they are thus at the same time both permanent and non-existent. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. And I also like what there's another uh, thing in Liber Theta, which, by the way, everyone should read that for the court card descriptions alone. They're <laughs> the best I've ever read anywhere. One thing it says about this little phrase sticks in my head in there about the princesses. And it says they're in inertia of irresistible momentum. I just love that. That's great. Well, that sort of reflects the fifth power to go. (laughs) Yeah. So they're both they're both earth and solid and matter. But they're on the move, stable yet erratic, (laughs) because their, their energy is about to transform one way or the other, yet That's they're right. Earth. Okay, so shall we talk a little bit about their elemental qualities? And well, as you were saying, they're Earth. Princesses in earthy general are the earthy part fire. of their suit. So earthy part of fire, exactly, for the um, page or princess of wands. So what does that mean exactly, the earthy part of fire? You can think of that as the fuel for the fire that mm-hmm. which feeds the fire and grounds the fire and gives it something to cling to. Yes, yes. I think of it as, you know, it could be the match or the kindling or the fuel itself, the the wood itself. It's that combination of, you know, of something that's a, a product of the earth and something that can burn. I think of wands and fire in general as representing will. And so I think of earth of fire as the fuel that's consumed in the great work, which is to know your will. Right. And it's the physical manifestation of the will as well is another way to put it. Yeah, they're all about the physicality, the body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look at a piece of firewood, a log, 
a match, what you're seeing is potential energy. So it's energy that is currently silent. <laughs> right. But with the potential to ignite. Okay. Shall we go on to zodiacal associations? Zodiacal correspondences? Yeah. Okay. So we're talking with the pages and princesses, we're talking about quadrants of the wheel. And the quadrant that she's associated with is the one associated with Cancer Leo Virgo. So from our point of view in the Northern Hemisphere, that's the summer quadrant. Yeah. If you think of the circle divided fourfold, that symbol of Malkut, mm -hmm. she's a whole quarter of the circle. Right. We're talking zero degrees of Cancer to 29 degrees of Virgo. Yeah. A quarter of uh, the Zodiac, I guess. A quarter mm -hmm. of the Wheel of Space. Mm -hmm. Which includes the heart of fire. The Yeah. It's supposed yeah. to be centered mm -hmm. around the fixed sign, the Karubic sign, in this case, Leo. So she expresses very much in a, a Leonine way, yet she also has three signs, a cardinal the Cancer, a fixed, the Leo, and a mutable, the Virgo. And if I look at the her cardinal sign, Cancer, it's the chariot. And right. that describes the Princess of Wands role as a vehicle for the will. She's like the embodiment of the will. Mm -hmm. She carries mm -hmm. that flame. And then the will itself, her power, Leo at the center, and then Virgo at the end, showing her, you know, virginal and pure flame status. Right. She's she's said to be pure and perfect in her expression of will. Right. And we are also talking about the point in the year, whatever hemisphere you're in, this is the point where the sun is at its northernmost point. The solstice, uh, yeah. Right, in the relationship to the earth in its ecliptic. And if you look at those three majors, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Chariot, Strength or Lust, and Hermit, you see also a progression from, you know, the, the armored uh, bearer of the grail, the protected um, warrior, to the uh, the naked woman, the scarlet woman, <laughs> uh, yep. you know, exposed beneath the heat of the sun. And then in the hermit or Virgo card, you almost have a contraction, a sort mm. of looking deep within, a going underground. So there's the you secret know, you can, seed. And there's a connection yeah. there to the yod as well. Exactly. So there's the sort of, you know, you can imagine that there's the motion of the chariot aspiring to the, you know, northernmost point in the heavens, this moment of, um, of fixed fire in the center where, which is essentially an emblem of rulership and domination. And then you have a retreat into introspection. It's, uh, so whichever way that you look at those three majors, you see a similar story developing. And though it's, it's not usually mentioned, but I think that with all, all princesses have their three majors of their corner of the zodiac. Yes. And yet they all have the fourth unmentioned one, which is the universe. Yes. The universe right. card itself is a maiden with the four corners divided. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's the card of Earth. Right. If you want to think about it in relationship to the courts, she's related. Uh, she covers the same territory as the Queen of Cups, the Prince or Knight of Wands, and the King or Knight of Discs. 
she has a sort of special relationship with those three personalities. Yep. Particularly the prince. Yes. Yeah. So I'm just trying to see if I, if we have anything to say about that sort of relationship between the prince and the princess. Well, you know, the story goes that her parents are the supernal parents, Hokma and Bina, and they give birth to the, the prince and the princess, but she is like somehow exiled way down to, to Malkut, um, mm-hmm. and is there sleeping until she connects back with her solar center, Tiferet, mm-hmm. and he brings back the knowledge of the parents to her. Yes, yes. So that's, that makes that makes sense to me. So when you say the solar center, we're talking about the fact that the Prince or Knight is associated with the sixth Sephira, Tiferet, and whereas she is associated with the tenth Sephira, Malkut, but they're both on, the, on that central um portion of the tree. When- the prince is directly connected to the two parents while she is only connected through him. Right. And he is, he represents her heart astrologically as well, because he represents the the sign in the middle, the Leo sign of her cancer Leo Virgo, uh, you know, quadrant. He's igniting her heart. He's reminding her who she is, bringing her into full flower and manifestation. Yeah, this might be a good time I wanted to read something in uh, Liber Theta where it just speaks about the princesses and their connection to the to the others. Mm-hmm. So it says, um, the four princesses are Amazons, standing firmly of themselves, neither riding upon horses nor seated upon thrones, nor borne in chariots. They <laughs> represent the forces of hey final of the name in each suit, completing, consolidating, and materializing the influences of the other scales the mighty and potent daughter of a knight and queen, a princess powerful and terrible, an empress whose effect combines those of the knight, queen, and prince, even as the elements of fire, water, and air are combined in the fabric of what we term earth. She is at once volatile and permanent, an inertia of irresistible momentum. Therefore, (laughs) she is symbolized by a figure standing firmly by herself, only partially draped and having but little armor. Her power exists only as a consequence of the others. She must be manifested as the daughter of wisdom and understanding or of will and love and the betrothed of beauty. And then indeed her power is mighty and terrible materially, a temple rightly builded and the throne of the forces of spirit. Woe unto whomsoever shall make war upon her when she is thus firmly established. <laughs> it's so wonderful, that speaks, isn't it? You know, the, yeah. the, the, the two parents, it mentions, you know, wisdom and understanding or, you know, Bina and Hokma, and she has to be the betrothed of beauty, Tiferet. And only then is she the temple rightly builded and she's firmly in her power. Yes. And I love the idea that she's also hurtling through space because that's us, right? Because we are, right. the, the earth is the most solid thing we know. It's the thing that anchors us. And at, at the same time, we're, we're being tumbled through space right. like a marble. Yeah. Right. Volatile yeah. and permanent and inertia of irresistible momentum, indeed. Right. So anyway, I just wanted to appreciate um, the way that you have the connection between the uh, Rose on the Lust card and the Princess of Wands. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's really something that emphasizes that connection, in which we really don't see in the other decks, I don't think. That well, there are roses imagery. on Crowley's card. Looking on at, top of the altar burning within the flame, there are yes, five roses. Yes, but not on the lust card. 
Ah, yes, Crowley. but not on the lust card. Yeah. So the, again, the time period that we're speaking of is June 21st to roughly September 22nd, um, starting with the summer solstice, I guess. Well, it is. Well, here in the Northern Hemisphere, that's the height of summer. It, it makes a lot of right. sense. But it's also said that they represent quadrants of space rather than time. So yes, it makes me wonder if that whole like period of time applies or not. Right, right. That's true. And that's true. I mean, it's really hard to, hard to, um, say, yeah. hard to say. I mean, we're such a, I think globally, we have a bias towards the Northern Hemisphere just because of that's where the landmass and the population is. But either way, we're talking about an extreme rather than the equinoctial balance. Do you want to talk a little bit about corresponding minors? When I think of the princess, I've always thought of her corresponding minor as being the ace. And yet mm -hmm. she has a connection to every one of the court cards of her suit. She has a connection to those majors. And then if you consider all of the minors that are associated with yes. each of those things, I mean, it's a, it's quite a few. It's a, Well, you can basically say she has a complete set of ace through 10. She's associated with the ace yep. of wands, the two, three, and four of cups, the five, six, and seven of wands, and the eight, nine, and 10 of discs. Or you could say she's got ace through 10 of the fire could, suit that's and right. all the other court cards within her too. So there's many <laughs> different ways of considering what multitude she contains. That's right. Yeah. And her relationship with the ace is a, is perhaps one that we should talk a little bit about because she's actually titled the throne of the ace of wands. I think that's thrown as a metaphor for the seat of power. Um, mm -hmm. And for the place yeah. where it comes to rest. If you think of the ace as being the power itself, you know, one of the four powers, the the throne of the ace is where that power is wielded and, and expressed. Right. And that's why in your princess cards, you can always see the ace as well. Expressed. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think um, Crowley has a, a quote about this that says, the climax of descent into matter is the signal for redintegration <laughs> of spirit. And so when you think of redintegration of spirit, that's the restoration to a former state. So there's something about the princesses as both completing the cycle and starting it all over again. Right. So we talk about sometimes the Kabbalistic fairy tale of the princess awakening the eld of the the father the knight and what does that actually mean it's the eld is a term like meaning great age mm -hmm. so it's like restarting that that age all over again mm -hmm. and somehow you know through awakening the father she becomes the queen and the cycle starts all over again in perpetuity basically exactly it's the way the seed is buried in the fruit and needs its husk or integuments to be protected and to sprout again. Yeah, so it just shows that connection that her as the lowest, the earth, is has this connection to the highest or the fire, the yod, in that divine name cycle. And also, you can look at the princess of each suit as being that which precedes the ace of the following suit. Mm -hmm. So this progression between worlds, she has that connection back to the beginning of her suit, whether it's the ace or the knight, but she also has that connection to the next suit. 
So in this case, it would be the Ace of Cups, that progression from will to love. Right. Which is why in this podcast, we go in this progression um, with the princess last, princess or page last, whereas, you know, there could be an argument for doing it the other way around. But we perceive that connection between the last of one and the beginning of the next. Yep. Yep. Okay. And I just wanted to, just for fun, read off the names of the uh, corresponding two through 10 minors, just the zodiacally related ones. I mean, we can do it with the suit of wands as well. But so you're talking about the minors of yeah, Cancer, Leo, Virgo. So yeah, because that takes it. This is a very interesting story. It goes from love and abundance and luxury or blended pleasure, to strife, victory and valor, to prudence, gain and wealth. So mm, that's know, a quite a story. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, a story of attraction um, and desire followed by conflict <laughs> and, you know, and striving, trying to uh, attain domination, uh, followed by a sort of a material consolidation and amassing of your treasures. So that's kind of interesting to think about. Whereas yeah, the, definitely. um, yeah, the the fire story is sort of more one of, you know, as the the trip from dominion to oppression as <laughs> a kind of a, a, a different arc yep. um, as yep. you go from one extreme of passionate power to another nature to <laughs> yeah. another. Exactly. Of power to another. Yeah. So it's interesting to just look at those in those two different ways. OK. Um, and before we go into specific imagery, there are some a few other associations we can go through. We've got Kabbalah, we've got historical and playing card, we've got I Ching, we've got there's so much, Mel. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, there's there's a lot. <laughs> hey, the, what like did you... I said, the princesses. I think it's probably obvious to anyone that I have a real fascination with them simply because of the symbol that I put on the boxes mm-hmm. of Tabula Mundi. But um, you remember when there was a Tarot conference that invited me to give a talk there and said, you can do it on anything. And right. this is what I was going to give a talk on, on the princesses, because there's just so much there. And they're one of the most underutilized cards in, in reading. And it's like a great secret of the Western tradition, the power yes. of the princesses. And, and I don't think it's that well known. Right. And so um, right. the conference ultimately was canceled. So I never did give the talk, but I did write up a quite lengthy article on it that I put on my um, website. Mm-hmm. If anyone is interested in reading more about the princesses than probably anyone else has ever put together in one article, <laughs> um, it's on www.tabulamundi.com. And you'll find it in the archives under May of 2017. And I will put it on the Patreon site for patrons, too, so they don't have to go hunting there. But even if you're not a patron, you can find it there if you go digging. It's yes. called uh, it's called Between Heaven and Earth because that's the way I see them as their position. They're standing firmly on the ground with heavens above them and earth below them. Yes, you definitely should read that article because it lays out a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in a really, really clear way. And if you're a, a person who learns through reading, it's it's something that'll be absolutely essential. It, we, have, we didn't mention that. I just wanted to mention because I thought it was interesting. It's another thing in the Liber Theta description on this card, and it calls her the causal body. 
And I'm like, hmm, what is that? Well, it's that which transports the essence of each person through each incarnation. And hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Oh, oh, that's interesting. So sort of um, as if she's traveling through the bardo. Yeah, hmm. it's like she she's that spiritual body that contains our essence, that which remains beyond you know, and is carried forward through yes. and through that, that, that essential spiritual flame that is the core of us. So I thought that was really cool to think about. That is really cool to think about. And it sort of explains why we often see reference to her having something to do with the fires of spring. You yes. know, even though she's kind of the... Yeah, uh, she's the summer quadrant. Right. Yet in the... Well, we'll talk about it when we get in the other card. Right. There is connection to the rites of spring. Right. Exactly. That's fascinating. The Sephira that she's associated with, as we've said, is Malkut. And that is in the world of archetypes, Atsilut. So she is um, the mm. kingdom uh, within the world of archetypes. Yeah, she's so as Malkut of Atsilut, she's like she is the the body of the spirit. It's I guess I can see why mm -hmm. they call her the causal body. Yes, yes, yes. That makes sense. You can almost think of Atsilut as the the world of causes and uh, and. Mm -hmm. Her as as its physical body. Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. I have a few. Oh, here, here's one thing I wanted to ask you before moving on to um to the next thing. Uh, looking back at the zodiacal and astrological associations, you know how with the with the other three types of court cards we have each one covering three decans, meaning that there's sort of a shadow decan. But because she covers these, you know, nine decans, three signs, can a princess be said to have a shadow? Mm, that's interesting. She's, yeah. she's not, she's different from the rest of the court cards. Um, they're the ones that are generally assigned to people based on their birthday and, and, you know, embodying these, these decans where the princesses are said to be only assigned to people in the sense of those elemental types. I think Crowley calls mm. them. I think he calls them the ones who lack all moral qualities or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think he meant that, that they were immoral so much as amoral. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're a force unto themselves. They're those people that you meet that are just a force of nature. You know, they're right. single minded in pursuit of whatever it is they're in pursuit of. Exactly, exactly. And that that's also sort of a, something that you could maybe say of the aces as well. You know, that they right. have that same quality. Okay. Um, I'm just going to talk briefly about the historical connections and playing card connections of the Page of Princess of Wands. We had a break last time because there are no playing card equivalents to princes or knights, but the Page of Wands or princess is, is like a jack. So, you know, in a playing card deck, the, uh, the, the prince or knight was dropped and the page or princess became called the knave or jack. 
There yeah, are. Yeah, the knave is such a uh, kind of derogatory term in yes. a sense. <laughs> yes, it is. I don't think it was originally, but it it came to be. Um, and I think it might even be cognate with that term naibi, which is sometimes a term you see in connection with historical. The page mm-hmm. is a little bit better of a term, it just in the sense that pages were generally, you know, in service in training for knighthood, you know, and that that's kind of right. speaks a little bit to that connection to the knight and the yod. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, this idea of their youthfulness and service, which playing card suit you associate with this has been a problem all along. Um, we've mentioned that some people associate wands with clubs, and some associate it with diamonds, uh, which makes kind of sense because uh, I was reading, I was trying to read this morning. This is what, this is why I called you in a panic. And I was like, I need another half hour. I got all distracted reading this very, very long disquisition in French about whether wands go with diamonds or with clubs. And, you know, I was sort of struggling through it and trying to understand it. And, you know, and basically the reason that a lot of people think that wands are associated with clubs is because the word club, you know, obviously is like a wand. It's like something you hit people with. But in fact, the, the idea of the three-leaved club or clover, that was originally a sort of a symbol of money you know, three coins. And therefore... What a diamond is too. Yes, yes. But the... And this is something that we brought up earlier in the previous court cards. The diamond is what's formed by the lozenge that's formed by the intersection of the wands. So there's this confusion about it. But if you look back historically, there's a closer connection between wands and diamonds than there is with wands and clubs. The, it's um, kind of interesting to me that there is a confusion yes, or conflation because of fire and earth, <laughs> wands and discs, because of the high and low thing going exactly, on. Exactly, exactly. And as I was reading this, I kept thinking about that. You know, this confusion about whether whether this energy of this suit has to do with fabrication and invention and making things and creativity, or whether it has to do with money and commerce. And I don't know. It's sort of like if you think of a piece. Again, if going back to the elemental thing, if you think of a piece of wood, is it something to burn or is it something inert? <laughs> There's sort of a philosophical contest going on between these two ideas and the idea of what role the farmers, the agricultural, the uh, the creators and growers of the world have to play versus the role that the merchants and bankers and money people have to play. And that's something that seems to be acted out in these historical associations. Which one is more important? Which one comes first? You know, which one is associated with what? So anyway, but I've sort of settled on seeing the Page of Wands, Page or Princess of Wands, as associated with the Jack of Diamonds. And therefore, the Jack of Diamonds historically was connected with the Prince of Troy, Hector. And Hector, of course, was, you know, was the great hero of Troy, the son of uh, King Priam. And he was in the great 
Battle of the Trojans and the Achaeans, he, he slew Patroclus. So Patroclus was the, the companion of Achilles. Uh, and Patroclus went out in Achilles' armor to fight and Hector slew him. And this is why Achilles had this sort of furious enmity for Hector. And the great story about Hector's death was that he was killed by Achilles and then he was dragged around the city of uh, the city of Troy around the walls by his heels. You know, his body was dragged round and round as sort of a gesture of humiliation and utter contempt. Sort of the exposure of the dark side of Achilles, you know, and the, and the humiliation of his rival. So, so Hector, great warrior. He's also was, he also was associated with, um, the, French epic hero Roland or Roland. And the idea about both of these figures is that they were just, you know, great martial heroes for their, for their people. Um, Roland was in particular a warrior of the Christian faith, I think. Um, and so there's something about these, these figures that has to do with uh, their ability to represent and their ability to bear uh, the standard of their people. Now, the other sort of thing that typically goes with the Valet de Baton, the Page of Wands in historical tarot, is this idea that it's someone who brings news, a messenger. And I think a lot of people in modern tarot use that signification as well, actually. Uh, somebody who brings a message, brings news to you. Yeah. And reversed might bring bad news, according to Eteya. So that's, that's a little bit of what I've found out about this particular figure. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the I Ching correspondence? Sure. Yeah. Cause that's really cool as that well. That is interesting. Yeah. So. The, as we've said before, the way that the I Ching is applied to the tarot is through one of those fourfold systems, four elements times four. So what they did was um, they took the four trigrams of thunder, lake, mountain, and wind and combined them in all 16 possible ways. So mountain, of course, is what's related to the element of earth and thunder is related to the element of fire. So each of we've talked about in this episode and the last three episodes, the Wands Quartz cards has involved that trigram for thunder as the lower trigram. So arousing thunder moves within the mountain. Yes, yes. And the spirit um, in the body. If you take the the mountain trigram and you place it over the thunder trigram, you get the hexagram 27, which is what's associated with the Princess of Wands, otherwise known as nourishing or swallowing. What do you have for it? Uh, nourishment. Yeah, mm -hmm. nourishment. And uh, and you know what's so cool about that is if you look at it, it's sort of like there's a solid line on top and a solid line on the bottom, and then there's broken lines in between. It's like a mouth, mm. you know. Um, it's said to be like jaws. Even cooler is that the upper trigram, so that's the one associated with mountain. That's the still one. Like the upper jaw is fixed in our mouths and the lower one moves, thunder or shaking. Uh, the lower trigram is the one that moves. It's not just physical nourishment, 
but spiritual nourishment as well. The idea that uh, when you provide for yourself, you're also in service to others. So uh, the upper trigram is nourishing yourself, which is considered a fundamentally selfish act. And the lower trigram is the moving one, the one that causes you to eat and bite, is the one that's in service to others. The comparison is, for example, to a king who may be in and of himself wealthy and well-fed, but who also provides for his people, who, you know, who gives in service to those he rules. When I think of the um, Princess of Wands, I think a lot about inner vision as it relates to creative projects. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of nourishment and taking in, it's that whole thing, what you nourish becomes your expression. What you take in becomes your expression. There's something about creativity and the creative process there. Um, You are what you eat. (laughs) You feed feed the well, you know, an artist Mm -hmm. feeds the well with images and then what comes out is an expression of what has come in. Absolutely. I think that's true. Okay. Oh, and you uh, know what's really yeah. interesting about that too, and it might be a good segue, is mm-hmm. that eaching mouth taking in is almost the polar opposite of the geomantic figure. Oh, is that true? Yeah, You're because kidding. it's Cauda Draconis, the dragon's tail. Yes. <laughs> so one's a taking in and one's a releasing out. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, Cauda Draconis, the dragon's tail, or the south node, correct? Yes. Yes. Where's the South Node exalted? Uh, no, uh, South Node, I think, I believe the South Node's exalted in in Sagittarius. I think that sounds right. Let's just yeah. total, double check that. Exalted in... So uh, North Node exalted in Gemini, South Node in Sagittarius. Yeah. 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 Okay. Just sort That's of interesting. Yeah. Oh, that I is I think there's cool. a connection to Jupiter as well that mm-hmm. I keep popping into my head, but I can't remember... Mm-hmm. what it is. Anyway, yes. Jupiter Sagittarius, there's a connection. There's so. the connection, right. So what does that geomantic figure signify? Do you happen to know? Well, it's it's generally said to be very bad. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's about the process of leaving usually, but in order to start something new. So it's endings, but also beginnings, which makes mm-hmm. sense for a princess card. Sure does. And it's... um. It can be like the selfish and single-minded pursuit of something, which that also makes sense for her. Right. The not needing nobody kind yep. of thing. Yeah. All right. Do you feel like we're ready to start going card by card? Sure. <laughs> One hour in. <laughs> right. We got we to gotta do that sometime. So we might as well. We can talk more about princesses in other episodes. That's right. I'm sure we will. Okay. So um, I'm looking at the weight card over here. So let and, me ask you something. Yeah. On, uh-huh. his, on his or her hat, do you oh, think yeah. that's an actual flame? The only flame that's seen in the wand suit, basically? Oh, or is that wow. a feather? I think it's whatever you want it to be. Um, yeah. I don't it looks think like a flame, and I was like, "Hey, there's a flame!" <laughs> exactly, kind of does. It really looks more like a flame than, say, the red feather that we see on the Death card or on the Sun card, right? And the shape of it is very much, and it's red. Uh, so it's another. I think it's a connection, maybe to Yod. Yeah, you know, I was. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does look very Yod-like. Okay, so this is interesting because Wait had said. And this sort of relates to the uh, historical cardomantic significations for the card. A young man stands in the act of proclamation. 
he is unknown but faithful, and his tidings are strange. He may signify family intelligence. So it's interesting because his mouth is not actually, his or her mouth is not actually open, but he does have that posture that says kind of, you know, it's like he's planting a flag almost. I'm struck by the fact that he's looking at the top of that wand, which I think is another, you know, maybe Yod Keter. Yeah. You know, the top of the tree kind of reference, but another connection with the lowest to the highest kind of thing. That's right. And again, you know, with these wands that we see in the wand suit, they are living wands, wands that have leaves coming from them. And it's almost as though, you know, he's in this barren desert and he's uh, bringing life to the desert um, or starting something, starting something new there, Um, which is what, in a sense, uh, a metaphor for what news or messages do. They create an action which follows on on the hearing. Let me see. I just wanted to have a quick look at the knight and king of and uh, and queen of wands in Rider Wade Smith. So yeah, it's all the same. It's all the same. And one. there's the pyramids here in the uh, page of wands as well. You see in the background the, yes. the three pyramids. It's, so it's very similar to the knight of wands. I was just uh, about to say it's another card. connection to the knight in the yod. Uh, although the knight prince of wands in um, in Rider Waite is connected. Oh uh, yeah, with there's the vowel thing. So yep. <laughs> there's that. The Either way, she's thing. connected to the knight and the prince, or the king right. and the prince, or the king and the knight, or <laughs> That's however true. you want to say it. However you want to say is it. Connected both to the father and the son. That's right. Uh, we have got more salamanders. Uh, salamanders, of course, being the elemental being associated with fire, the lizard that can be in the fire and not be consumed. Uh, I'm trying to remember if in other weight cards, whether, you know, whether the hat has any significance, whether we see hats on the other princesses or pages. I'm looking at the hat because I want to know if there are some kind of crown or catcher reference associated Mm. with that, Um, you know, since there is the the flame on it. Okay, so um, everybody except the page of swords has some kind of hat on. So you're saying that could be a Keter reference. Well, yeah, I was, yeah, the idea that the page wears a hat could be, you know, it's a soft hat. It's, (laughs) it's not anything that would provide you much protection, but it could be a reference. I really prefer the boots. I I want those boots that uh, people are in. (laughs) They're pretty cool boots. flames on them. (laughs) Renfair shoes. They totally are. And completely unsuitable for the climate he's in, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they should be sandals. So on this soft kind of bowler hat that the Page of Wands is wearing, there is that flame-like little red feather, which is reminiscent both of the Yod, the Fool, and this sort of bearer of news quality, this archetype of newness and, and new life. Right. That actually reminds me, that connection with the, the red feather on the Rider Waite hat and possibly being a connection to the Fool, because... I think there's a a connection between the fool as, you know, the embodiment of the whole fool's journey and Mm -hmm. the the princess as being kind of what he seeks. I think Crowley calls the fool the pure and perfect knight errant who answers all the enigmas and opens the closed portal of the king's daughter. There's there's another um, at the end of the Book of Thoth. 
there's some poems on each each trump and this one says for the fool it says uh, be neither man nor woman but both in one be silent babe in the egg of blue that thou may grow to bear the lance and grail wander alone and sing in the king's palace his daughter awaits thee So there is a connection between the the fool and the ultimate destination of the princess. Yes. One last thing to add about the Page of Wands and Rider-Waite-Smith. I think it's interesting with these Rider-Waite-Smith cards to look at the way Pamela Coleman-Smith drew the ground that they're standing on just because of that connection with Earth. And Mm. what we have here is some seriously baked Earth. (laughs) And those you know, are either pyramids or mountains. Either mountains pyramids are, or mountains. You know, a symbol but, of um, a symbol of Earth, the mountain. Exactly, exactly. As just as we saw the mountain trigram in the uh, in the in the hexagram twenty seven of the I Ching. So there's a connection there. You could read into it. The fact mm-hmm. that there's three mountains it makes me think of the four princesses. Like here, the the page is the embodiment of. A mountain, uh, and then yeah. the other three, uh, the other three princesses, or something. The other three mountains, and I don't know. Just one nice idea. It's cool that you know if you if you look at the other page cards in each one, you see a, a reference in the way the landscape is drawn to the element that they refer mm-hmm. to. You here, you can see the the effect of fire on earth, the dry and uh, sort of barren baked earth. Okay, that's all I've got for the writer Wade Smith. I think. Um, Shall we look at the Thoth Princess of Wands? Talk about headgear. (laughs) Oh, I love this card. (laughs) I know. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It just has such motion in it. Totally. You know, we've talked about how the the flames, you know, are usually shaped to suggest something, have a message to Mm -hmm. them. And this one, definitely, it's like a giant yode that she's dancing in the center (laughs) of. That's right. That's right. We referred a little bit to what's going on, the rite of spring that's inherent in this card, even though it's the quote unquote summer quadrant of the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, she does have a giant, I guess, Aries headdress on. Well, I've read that that's the headdress, the split feathers of my oh. heart, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see that. But there is the Aries reference on the altar, altar? there, the mm-hmm. little the ram's heads around the altar. So in terms of that that altar, uh, we see the roses burning on the altar, first of all, and that is a reference to the rose of the palace of flame. And probably Sorry, as a fire. five, maybe as the five senses and the five powers, mm-hmm. the fifth, you know, the fourth power and the fifth power, that whole cycle you hear a lot about the rites of spring associated with this card. And if you think of the, the ballet, yes, the rites of spring, which the, the sacrificial virgin dances herself to death. Exactly. I was just bringing that up. So it's really interesting, the rite of spring in general, because it was, you know, such a revolutionary work. And when people first heard it, you know, it's, it's quite disturbing and it's, and it's worth listening to because it has this, you know, this propulsive rhythm that pounds through it that's not regular. That's, you know, this is a, an era in classical music where we're disrupting sort of the regular, uh, rhythmic and harmonic structures of the classical period. And, uh, we're giving up the end of romanticism and moving into this incredibly 
different disruptive modernist period. And when, when the Rite of Spring was first performed, I think it was in Paris, there was a riot. People left. They were like, they were so upset, you know, because they couldn't take the strangeness and the newness of this sound. And which is something that, you know, reminds me a little bit of some of the significations we've talked about already, this sort of disruptive presence, the news that, you know, surprises you. Um, yeah. And she's yeah. said to be a true nonconformist. That's for sure. And, and the fact that, you know, and I, and as you were saying, the fact that this is the rite of spring is the rite he's talking of is a pagan rite. It's a sacrificial mm-hmm. ritual in which the initiate, as you say, dances herself to death as a sacrifice to the land. Um, and I, I assume that that's, uh, also represents like a fertility ritual. Yeah. Very and appropriate. That's, you know, and that idea of birth and death being intertwined is very much of the nature of this card. Yeah. The whole cycle. Yeah. Now, do we see, you know, thoughts so much better than I do off the top of my head? I don't remember if there's an altar of this kind on every princess. I think so. Let's see. Boy, off the top of my head. Good question. I think I know so, there though. is on the princess of discs. Both of my decks. Yes, yes. There certainly is in the Princess of Discs. I can't remember if there are um in cups and the cups one she has that shell thingy and uh and the air one I can't recall. Just pulling them out. Oh there, I think there's a smoking altar on the Is there? That the, makes uh, sense. Princess of Swords. I didn't think to take out all of the princesses before that. Yeah, there's no. Uh, nor did I. I have so much yeah. stuff on my desk. It's a good thing we're not doing this together. I mean, in the same room, because there wouldn't be room no. for everything. <laughs> we need a whiteboard with magnets. I have a whiteboard and magnets. I don't have a way to hang it up, but I do have a giant whiteboard. Well, we could stand it on a on an easel. Yeah, we should definitely do that. Where is that Princess of Swords? Here she is. Okay, so yeah, there's an altar on there too in Thoth. So yeah, maybe so we, there's some sort of idea of the princess, you know, being the culmination. There is a sacrificial quality, a, a kind of endings, you know, there. Yes. And I also think of it as sort of, um, you know, that altar as like a cubic stone or some kind of emblem of matter, you know, the earthy part yeah. of the suit, the earth upon which, you know, you must sacrifice to go on to the next whatever it is. That's really cool. I don't think we see altars on any other court cards. Nope. Yeah. So the uh, so the Princess of Cups has this sort of giant shell, but it sort of reflects the form of the altar that we see in the others. Fascinating. Altars, in very important in Princesses in Thoth. Let's see, what else do we have? We have, um, oh, can we talk about the tiger? Yeah, that's Love so cool. Love the tiger. Yeah. Got him by the tail. <laughs> and tiger this by is, the tail. Yes. Yes. Um, and the tiger, you know, we have the theme of the big cat throughout, uh, throughout, um, the wands, yeah. wands courts. Yeah. We have the leopard of the queen, the lion that sort kind of goes with both the prince or knight and the king or knight. So big cats are, are fundamental. Yeah. yeah. Lion energy. Yeah. The tigers, I think, are appropriate for this card because to me, they're really sensual. You know, mm-hmm. they just have that sultry feline energy to them. And they're a symbol of passion. Oh, absolutely. I was doing some research on tigers this morning. And um, first of all, tigers and lions and leopards are all related. Uh, they're all in the panthera genus. But lions and leopards are 
kind of a little bit more closely related, whereas tigers are kind of off on their own, tigers and Just snow like leopards. Just like the princess. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And also something really interesting about the tiger is that of those big cat species, it's the tiger that's potentially the largest. It can grow to be the largest, which I did not know. Mm. Which is, isn't that interesting? I mean, it is being associated yeah. with the princess. It's also the national animal of Bangladesh. Well, obviously, Bengal tiger, uh, Bangladesh, India, Malaysia, and South Korea. <laughs> so, mm. what's the quadrant, uh, the spatial quadrant? Asia. Uh, there you go. Yep. Yeah. Spatial quadrant of wants. Yeah. Matchy match. <laughs> it's <laughs> ding, so ding, satisfying. Ding, ding. <laughs> What about, um, I don't know anything about it, so I'm asking you, what about um, Egyptian mythology and tigers? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not really, I don't really know the answer to that. I'd have to do a little digging. Okay. As long as it's not something that we obviously had to know from Book of Thoth or something like that. No, I don't think so. Okay. We've got the sun, that wand she's holding yeah. with the sun on it. Kind of looks like a giant solar lollipop. <laughs> um, <laughs> or a sunflower. Yeah, all the sunflowers yeah. are dark in the middle. With uh, the sun with 30 rays. Did you count? I was just about to do it. Yep, 30 rays. 30 rays, awesome. We've got uh, straight and wavy. Why 30? 30 being the path of Resh. Oh, okay, that's right. The sun. So there's a kind mm-hmm. of Leo Leo reference there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sun ruling, ruling Leo, or the idea of the sun being exalted in Aries with this ram and rite of spring kind of imagery that we have. And there's also, you know, what's interesting about this card, um, and I don't know how that compares with the other Thoth wand courts, but there's that streak of green that runs through the flame. Mm. Yeah, yeah, green always reminds me, you know, both obviously of growth, mm-hmm. which there is some sense of, of growth here, but also of Venusian quality. Yes. Venus, the Aphrodite, her as the, the priestess of the rites of spring and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the, yeah. that sensuality and um, uh, sexual charisma. Sexual charisma, yeah. Of Aphrodite. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and that solar uh, wand also just sort of reminds me a little bit of the Rider Waite Smith Queen of Wands sunflower, um, mm-hmm. the way she's holding that. Okay, let's go on to yours. All right, okay, so we've so, got the altar again. Yep, we've got mm-hmm. the the brazen altar. That's actually, I think, in the other episodes, this is where we read the book tea description. Oh, yes, let's do that. So, because so, all of your, all Tabula Mundi court cards, everyone, are based on the book T description. All right. So, traditional description a very strong, beautiful woman with flowing red gold hair, attired like an Amazon. Her shoulders, arms, bosom, and knees are bare. She wears a short kilt reaching to the knee. Round her waist is a broad belt of scale mail, narrow at the sides, broader in front and back, and having a winged tiger's head in front. She wears a Corinthian-shaped helmet and crown with a long plume. It is also surmounted by a tiger's head, and the same symbol forms the buckle of the scale male buskins. A mantle lined with tiger skin falls back from her shoulders. Her right hand rests on a small golden or brazen altar, ornamented with ram's heads and with flames of fire leaping up from it. Her left hand leans on a long and heavy club, swelling at the lower end where the sigil is placed, and it has flames of fire leaping up from it the whole way down, but the flames themselves are ascending. This clubber torch is much longer than that carried by the knight or queen. Beneath her firmly placed feet are leaping flames. 
Wow. So that's what I tried to base the artwork on that description. You know, you can't always get everything 100% and you do take your own interpretive Mm -hmm. artistic liberties. But for the most part, that's that's her. Mm -hmm. If you compare this card to my Ace of Wands card, you'll see they both have that form of the great tree behind them. And you'll see that she's standing at the base of the tree in the position of Malkut and her, the flames going up the tree are the Sephiroth positions. And then, you know, you've got Keter mm-hmm. appearing as the flame on her crown. Oh, the flames going up the tree. Yes. I didn't even yeah. notice that. That's great. And then she's got the, the brazen altar. Um, brazen is that, does that mean breasts? I don't know. I think there's a tradition, a Jewish tradition for the tabernacle or the brazen altar, which is uh, like an incense altar where they, it was said to bring the the incense rising from the altar was to bring the prayers to God. And Mm -hmm. I think there's some connection there again with the yod and the, you know, the, the keter, that rising force that's Mm -hmm. in, you know, evident in that altar symbolism and the altar in this case has the rose on it as we mentioned before Mm -hmm. connection to the lust card of leo yeah so which is the heart of her suit and is that over over the um on the side of her helmet is that a flame over her ear or is it it's it's kind of part going with the um description of the helmet they usually have a little side piece there oh okay yeah and we've got the winged tiger above so we have um, yeah, the tiger crest mm-hmm. and on her belt, there's the uh, the tiger on her kind of wrestler's belt there that she's got yes. going on. <laughs> Sometimes so that- I laugh when I see this card because <laughs> I, I think of the whole, you shouldn't uh, bar- barbecue naked or shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you just need a couple like skewers of pork satay on that altar there. You shouldn't, shouldn't be frying, frying things on the altar without your shirt. <laughs> oh, that's great. Her personality is said to be thrilling but dangerous, so I think it fits. Mm-hmm. Now, um, her eyes are closed. Is that true of your other princesses? I don't think so. they're all closed, no. Mm-hmm. So is there a, a signification um, to her eyes being closed? Well, there's that whole inward turning that's part of that cycle of passing to the next thing i think mm-hmm. yeah it looks like you know got- she's contemplating when i think of the princess of wands so wands being will and the princesses being silence and taking action there's almost that tuning in you know there's that they say that she's a becomes awakened that she's sleeping but becomes awakened when she connects to that spirit of the prince that inner guide that's what i was wondering she's Mm -hmm. tuning into that will force um so that she can take the right action Mm -hmm. right it looks like you've got eyes open on princess of cups and princess of discs eyes closed on on wands and swords oh that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sure you had a reason in at some level, subconsciously. Yeah, some level. <laughs> Not that it's coming to me at the moment. No, but no, but that's when okay. we get to those cards, I bet it will. We'll figure it out. <laughs> You'll figure it out. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Anything else you want to say about about your princess? Not that's coming to me. Okay. Let's see. Practical applications. So what does she what does she do for you? You know, 
this is where it gets really interesting. Now, I always say, oh, it depends on context. But in no other case is it so much true as when you get a princess card. Because there's so many different ways to go with it. She has mm -hmm. connections, as we mentioned, to, to so many different cards. She has connections to four different trumps and to the ace and to the un unfoldment of the entire suit. She has the connection to her, her power, wielding her power. She has the connection to the betrothal with her, her prince and the... Uh, reawakening of the eld of the night and ascending to the throne of the mother and all these different things and depending on what's happening when you get this card you can take it in all sorts of different ways like we talked about the um the court cards being paragraphs well i think the princesses are like whole chapters yes absolutely i mean in general i think of them as a flowering of some creative process a standing in your own power, you know, mm -hmm. when it's, when it's done right. This particular princess, it's the completion of the will force, the connection with the inner holy guardian angel and, and how you wield that fully, you know, that you could say those things in general, but how that you can take it in so many different directions based on, let's say you're doing a, a large reading with lots of different cards in it. This card can have connections going on with so many different cards that you can tease out and, and get a story out of. Yes. Yes, it absolutely can. Well, I personally, and I don't get this card an absolute ton. I had always thought that it would mean something new, a message, a package, but you know, it really doesn't. Um, from what I've seen, it, it doesn't signify that for me. That's more of something I get with eight of wands. But interestingly, as I was going back through the database and the journal, I saw a lot of things having to do with my daughter. And, you know, in general, princesses in general, you know, when you when you have a daughter, it's not terribly surprising to find uh, find princess or pages associated with her. My daughter, I tend to associate her with the Princess of Cups. But when I got the Princess of Wands, it was like she and I were doing things together. Yeah, I've said that I kind of identify with the Queen of Wands myself. And it was almost like when I was trying to do Queen of Wands things with my daughter, <laughs> there would be like this trying to teach her to do things, trying to to learn and to teach as opposed to fulfilling or doing something at a high level. It was more like explorations. For example, like the first day that I learned to make perfumes, I was, I drew this card. I was making them with with her and I made a perfume called Dirty Rose and she made a perfume called Evening Coriander. <laughs> and, uh, and also on that day I had, um, this is kind of interesting signification wise. I had just sort of randomly put up a product on Red Bubble. This was long before Fortune's Wheelhouse, but I had, I had another account that I started that I put up, um, a mug that said, nevertheless, she persisted. Because that was, you know, something that was in the air at the time. And, you know, I got a bunch of orders for it. But, uh, but, you know, nevertheless, she persisted. There's something about that that to me is a little bit Princess of Wands. Yeah. You know, that sort of strength and, and stubbornness and obstinacy and will. And I um, noticed that you're speaking mm -hmm. about creative projects, mm -hmm. you know, so I, mm -hmm. I do associate this with, 
action taking toward will, which for me, usually my will is to do some sort of creative project. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's, there was a lot of that. Um, the day I started my other podcast, The Level Teaspoon, that was, uh, that was one of these, um, when I started scripting it. So it's really beginnings of beginnings for me. And then there were some funny ones. For example, like it turns out, I've seen this a couple of times in the record that this card is associated with one of our cars, um, <laughs> the Civic yeah. Hybrid, which is a blend of fire and earth. <laughs> she doesn't have a name, but, you know, because she's got like conventional fuel and electric fuel, <laughs> it's a hybrid. There, That sort of reminded me of earth and fire combined a little bit. Um, <laughs> yep. So, you know, so there's this thing where, you know, the Civic has a problem or the Civic is fixed or something having to do with that car. Um, and I think I've the, seen oh, this card come up too occasionally as the other woman. Oh, you really? know, that, no that kidding. really sexually charismatic and compelling yet somewhat dangerous creature yeah. that, you know, lures away <laughs> the, exactly. You know, I've, I've seen this card, you know, and the, the man is usually completely enthralled and fascinated by this being who is kind of playing him and kind of a selfish person sometimes. That can happen too. <laughs> I can totally see that. She she and the Queen of Wands both have that sensuality. And I have seen that this. That charisma. That charisma for sure. You know, irresistible force. I have seen this in other people's readings as having chemistry, sexual chemistry with someone. Yeah. Most yeah. definitely. She's a hot tamale. <laughs> she definitely is. That's sort of like when the match strikes and it bursts into flame. Yeah. They, these are the people mm -hmm. that are those, you know, those forces of nature that they just like suck up all the air and energy out of the room. And, That's right. You know, and you can't tear your eyes away, but they're... Mm -hmm. can be dangerous to be around and kind of exhausting. Yes, the fire... Drama queens, you know. The fire Divas. consumes the fuel, but it's also hungry for air, like the prince, yeah. right? So, And then the only other sort of funny thing that I associated with this, something about wands has to do with electricity, for sure, for me, anyway. Oh, definitely. Flame I, and the uh, lightning. Exactly. The very first time on record that I had gotten this in my database uh, was August 6, 2015. And it was, that was the day I had to do a Windows 10 update. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's sort of like, okay, here is the stupid hardware, which has to sit here and go through this resetting process to be reborn, essentially and rewritten in its software. So that seemed to me sort of like an earth and fire, sort of one of these elemental reset type things. Thing. Windows I, 10, that just, the, I, I, oh, I'm Windows 10. Against, 10. against <laughs> Windows 10, but it just struck me, Windows, hey, yes. the letter hey, of and the ten. divine name, ten she's Malkut. the final hey, and 10 Malkut. <laughs> <Windows> <laughs> How great is that? Wow. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, <laughs> um, shall we try and sum it up? Oh, my God. Oh, boy. Okay. So, we'll we'll, we'll It'll take it another step. 15 minutes just to sum it up. <laughs> All right. So some of the themes, and we can't guarantee we'll get to them all, but some of the themes we've talked about, her association with a whole quadrant of the wheel, the earthy part of fire, her connection with the chariot, strength, lust, and the hermit. Uh, we've talked about her um, as 
Keter and Malkut, and Malkut and Keter, particularly in the world of archetypes, the world of Atsilut. Her connection with the rite of spring, despite being associated with the summer quadrant. Talked about the uh, causal body and the uh, the soul, the container for the soul. That's right. The pure and perfect flame of our incarnation. The princess as the vehicle that carries us from one incarnation to the next. And we've talked about silence. And going and forth. Power. To go. We've talked about roses, and the rose of the Palace of Flame, the Princess of Salamanders. We've talked about tigers. <laughs> tigers We've, and mountains. Oh, and jaws and nourishing and swallowing, which is also kind of interesting in, in relationship to the tiger. Right. And as well as the dragon's tail. The dragon's tail. So we have consumption and elimination. We've talked about uh, the tiger is an national animal of countries in Asia and Southeast Asia, particularly. We talked about the relationship to the Jack of Diamonds and the figure of Hector and Roland. And we've talked about her relationship with the other court cards, awakening the eld of the night and betrothal to the prince and ascension to the throne of the queen. We talked about her sexual charisma or animal magnetism. Yes, her potency and our inborn potential. And we talked about the aspirant seeking to solve the great problem in three ways. We talked about her as a bringer of news and tidings, a stranger, the initiation of creative processes. We talked about the princesses as prakriti or nature, primal substance. Okay. Um, can you think of anything else? <laughs> Probably not. <lots>. Probably. <laughs> um, well, let's just say that she creates beauty through the force of her potent expression. That she is a force of the ending and the beginning. And she transitions to the next world, where we'll, when, which we're going to go to next when we talk about the Ace of Cups. Exactly. So thank you for accompanying us through this lengthy journey, uh, this introduction to Pages and Princesses, and this very long sojourn with the Page or Princess of Wands. And do join us next time for the very first card in the suit of cups, the Ace of Cups.